0: Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we welcome Jonathan Carmel, author of the new book, Dying to Work, Death and Injury in the American Workplace. For more than 30 years, John has represented workers and labor unions and their benefit funds throughout the Midwest, in the federal courts, and before the NLRB, Department of Labor, and EEOC, among many other agencies. John is a fellow in the College of Labor and Employment Lawyers and is the union co-chair of the Occupational Safety and Health Committee of the American Bar Association. He's a frequent speaker on labor and employment topics. We spoke to Jonathan recently about his new book and the importance of this coming Saturday, April 28th.
1: Hello, Jonathan. Welcome
0: to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, John. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming
0: on. Um, well, we're excited about your new book, and uh, this is actually an important month uh, for the book because this coming April 28th, is World Day for Safety and Health at Workday, and organizations such as the International Labor Organization and the United Nations are asking community leaders to speak out on issues such as workplace health and safety standards. You've been working on these very issues for many years and have written a definitive book on the subject. What are some of the most important issues you believe Americans should know about workplace safety?
1: I think, John, that the... um Workplace safety or the risks of going to work every day affect all workers in all types of jobs and not just our coal miners or oil platform workers, which I I talk about both of those jobs in the book. But um, And they attract the most media attention. OSHA collects data on over 1,100 industries and millions of employees employees and millions, you know, thousands and thousands of job classifications. So one of the ideas that I had for the book um, was to talk about workers in the, my stories that are what I call hiding in plain sight. They're, they're workers that we interact with every day: um, grocery store workers, hotel workers, nurses. Um, and, and so workers just aren't hiding behind plant gates. Guarded by, you know, security guards. They're 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 people, you know, just like us, you know, everyday Americans who we see every day, and they're at jobs that um, can cause great harm uh, to their health and safety, and we're not even aware of it. So that that was a, um, a one important takeaway that I wanted to get in the book. The other point I make in the book is that we have a narrative that workers are to blame, that there are um, accidents caused by workers. Employers blame workers all the time uh, for accidents. Post-accident drug screening or alcohol screening is a very common uh, uh, occurrence in the workplace. Even if the worker didn't cause the accident it had nothing to do with it, they they blame the worker by, let, let's let test you for drugs. But I think one of the messages, another message I have in the book is that there are really no accidents caused by workers. Uh, accidents are uh, unintended events. They're uh, unlikely to occur. But a worker falling off a roof without any protective guards, or a worker killed in a trench that wasn't properly supported, or a worker going on top of a roof to fix, uh, do some electrical work without training, which I talk about in the book, these are not accidents. These are not events that were unlikely to occur. Uh, These are all preventable events, preventable injuries, and preventable deaths. And I just think the third thing uh takeaway would be that um we can do more in this country uh to protect our workers. We don't do enough. In 2016 there were an uptick in reportable deaths, you know, 5,190 deaths, another statistic. Um, but we can do more and we don't do enough. And I talk about that in the book as well. Uh, why we failed to protect our workers, and and why even one death, one injury is too much, and and is likely preventable.
0: Yeah, it's a serious subject, and uh, it hit close to home. Actually, a friend of mine, um, his brother works in the wind industry down in Texas, and he was just telling me stories that he said were an everyday occurrence where. Uh, guys were going up into the windmills and uh didn 't have their proper equipment to hold their tools and so some of the workers at the base of the windmills would were in danger of of having tools coming down you know two hundred feet almost hitting them right next to them like wrenches and and hammers. <laughs> he said it was like a very common occurrence, and that it was lucky that he was alive to to tell the story
1: yeah the 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 injuries that occur to workers and the deaths that occur to workers are, are not very complicated or complex most of the time. They, they could have been prevented by some very simple training or, or very inexpensive uh, tools or protective gear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're not. I mean, it's not an expensive process, not understanding no. what, what industry often says.
0: Yeah, that's what was shocking was it just seemed common sense precautions would have prevented anything. And he said, oh, yeah, they just kind of a cowboy culture that they, you know, they didn't feel that they needed these safety uh, precautions.
1: That's right. And one of the stories in the book is they is, is was a uh, worker, a dredge worker. He dredged the rivers in Philadelphia and he fell overboard on, on the uh, dredge boat, and uh, they didn't have any life preservers on the boat, and he drowned, and he, he was a good swimmer, but uh, he probably hit his head, they're not even sure, hit his head on the way into the river and, and never recovered, but he didn't have a life preserver. You know, starting off the book, I,
0: you had a passage from uh, Upton Sinclair's book, The Jungle, I remember reading that as a teenager and being really impacted by it, and it was highlighting the, the working conditions of immigrant workers in the meatpacking industry. Um, It caused a major uproar in the US and the government intervened to, uh, with a law, you mentioned the law, the Meat Inspection Act and Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906. The um, kicker in the book is you say, comprehensive national legislation protecting worker safety would have to wait another 64 years Why why did it take so long for Congress to enact legislation on these issues? And and secondly, how effective are the laws now that we currently have on the books?
1: The more things change, the more they're the same. Worker safety was then, as it is now, a political issue in this country instead of a fundamental right. It took so long to enact the OSHA Act uh, because politicians then uh, as they are now are bowing to the well-funded business interests and lobbyists, and again, this is nothing new. Um, after the Triangle Fire, which may be the most, you know, written about and famous or infamous um, uh, worker safety event uh, in the in the country's history, where 146 um, uh, workers were were killed in the fire in New York that prompted a lot of legislation and and, and activism uh, in New York at that time, in 1911, 1912, around then. And up in Albany back then, the business lobbyists were trotting out the same canards that are being trotted out today that uh, any of this legislation that was being proposed then would be job killers, um, and and they made threats to take their businesses out of New York and go to a more business-friendly state. I mean, it occurred then, it occurred between then and the enactment of OSHA in 1970, and it occurs today. It's the same same old story. Any regulations that are going to protect workers. Um, are often met with, you know, fierce opposition by uh, political uh, uh, interests against it, uh, you know, industry interests against it, the Chamber of Commerce leading the way uh, to oppose many uh, of these regulations. So rather than being, as I said, a fundamental right to, you know, ensure that workers have a healthy and safe workplace, it's not. It's become a political football. Um, OSHA, since its enactment, was has, has been a really probably one of the most despised agencies in the federal government. And from the get-go, uh, almost you know, while the ink was still wet on the legislation signed by President Nixon, there were bills in Congress to repeal it, defund it, to quote reform it and make it less effective. And that still goes on today. So um, it, it shouldn't be a political issue, but uh, worker health and safety, but it is.
0: And the laws and the books that we have now—that yeah. you were saying that they're—they're they're in essence uh, toothless.
1: Yeah. Uh, two things I want to say: OSHA has been the OSHA Act has been uh, effective. I mean, to a degree, and its detractors are always saying OSHA is the OSHA, OSHA agency and the OSHA act aren't doing anything. They're just, you know, causing, uh, uh, uh you know, more regulations for the industry to, um, uh, you know, have to, uh, abide by and, and they're unnecessary and they're, and they, and they don't protect workers. And the, and the truth of the matter is that while there's still significant worker, uh, deaths and injuries in this country, 150 workers, die each, um, uh, each day um, uh, from injuries and uh, illnesses. Um, the overall number of reported uh, deaths has decreased significantly since OSHA. Again, the last reported numbers are 5,190, I think I said. Um, from 2016. That's the last year of final data. Um, but that's still way too many. And again, those are only the reported numbers. But so OSHA has had an, has had some effect. I'm not saying it's totally ineffective. But it's an old law. It's nearly 50 years old. And um, it needs to be reformed. The workplace has changed dramatically since 1970. Uh, there were 78 and a half million workers back in 1970, and today there are over 143 million workers. And there's millions of new kinds of workers. We have more what they call contingent workers, um, also known as independent contractors, workers without any protections because they are are classified or misclassified um, as not an employee of any employer. They come from temporary agencies, they um, uh, we've got, you know, workers now in this new gig economy you know, where you can go online and get a get a, a, a car ride or you can get an electrician. They have no protections because they're all classified or, in my view, misclassified as independent contractors, and not employees. Uh, you have millions of low-wage workers now in the workforce that weren't there before, uh, many of them women and, and immigrants and people of color with who are very vulnerable and have little uh, protections. Um, so OSHA needs to be reformed. The OSHA Act needs to be reformed. And every year on Workers' Memorial Day, which is coming up, as you mentioned, April 28th, some designated... Senator, last, I think last year, you know, they, they trot out or, 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 or re-enact or, or reintroduce, rather, uh, OSHA Act reform bill called um, uh, the Protection, Protecting America's Workers Act. And that is intended to really reform OSHA and bring it up to uh, modernize it and bring it up to the realities of the workplace today. But that doesn't ever get to the light of day, it doesn't even get to a hearing. Even when the Democrats controlled Congress, it's never, you know, seen uh, any meaningful hearings or had any meaningful action on it. It's always died a legislative death. So, so
0: given it, that, what are the prospects for OSHA reform under the Trump administration?
1: Uh, slim to none. Yeah. As the old saying goes, "Slim went to Texas. There are no uh, prospects." The reform that's occurring under the uh, Trump administration, um, and, and the reforms that have occurred uh, since 1970, and I'm putting reforms in quotes, are reforms that have, you know, have made workers less safe, have made OSHA less effective, and um, and the and and those are the type of reforms that have occurred, and and I hate to even call them reforms, uh, but those are the kinds of legislative actions or executive actions taken in the Trump administration that have made workers less safe.
0: You interview a lot of injured workers and surviving family members uh, of workers that have died, and, and I'm just looking at the table of contents here, you, you, some of them that you had mentioned, but I'll go over you know, grocery clerk, hotel housekeeper, some of, the, some of the fields you wouldn't think of at first uh, thought. Uh, electrician, coal miner, oil and gas worker, dredging, logging, combustible dust, warehouse worker, packing house worker, manufacturing, grain handling, registered nurse, and elevators. There's a lot of heart-wrenching stories in here. What's one that that really stuck in your mind when you were writing the book?
1: Um, well, I'm gonna be a, uh, I- Proud author that I want to share all of the stories. They all are heart wrenching to me, and really they were heart wrenching when I was interviewing the injured workers or the surviving family members. Um, and I could still be writing stories today uh, because 14 workers die each day from work. Um, but the story, I think, uh, of Hannah Phillips, who uh, worked in the grocery stores in the meat department. She was a young girl at the time, maybe around, if I recall, uh, about 17 years old, she was still in high school, and she lost her arm in a meat grinder, uh, cleaning a meat grinder uh, at the end of the workday. And she put her arm in there thinking that the meat grinder was turned off, which it was, but the safety switch had been um, improperly deactivated. And, the grinder caught her uh, work sleeve and dragged her arm in and she pulled it out a few seconds later and her arm was gone up to her elbow Um, and it's really a a heart-wrenching story uh, for me Uh, and it it highlighted for me that places that we all interact with every day you know we, we go to grocery stores all the time we I worked at a grocery store as a, as a, as a teenager. We send, grocery stores are filled with teenagers. Hannah was a teenager. We, we'll, we'll send our kids for these jobs, and, 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 we, and we go into the stores every day. We don't realize how dangerous uh, a grocery store actually is. I mean, it's not a coal mine, but um, in, in many ways, it's, it's just as dangerous on uh, the back room of a grocery store is, is extremely uh, dangerous place. There's another story in there of case, cases of uh, pallets of bottles falling on another grocery store worker, killing her, smothering her, basically. Um, grocery store cashiers, you know, have traumatic repetitive injuries um, from scanning uh, the, the groceries across the uh, checkout lane. Um, and those are serious injuries that uh, are debilitating to their shoulders and hands and wrists um, and very painful. Um, again, the other stories that I really think are important to tell are, you know, Angela Martinez's story. She was a hotel housekeeper for, um, and again, a hotel, these housekeepers, uh, their jobs are dangerous. They cause, you know, very serious and painful injuries. Uh, and now one of the things I learned from it is when I go into a hotel, I, now, I don't leave my towels on the floor anymore in the bathroom. I pick them up, put them in the, uh, you know, when I'm leaving the hotel room, put them on the vanity. Uh, and so they don't have to bend down. There's one less thing they have to do to bend down when they're cleaning 30 rooms a day, um, the story about the packing house worker Euphrasia Barrera I mean she makes you know she and thousands of thousands of other packing house workers make put the food on our tables, put the food you know in fancy restaurants, the steak restaurants we go to, and these workers suffer injuries at three times the national average. So all of these stories you know need to be told um, so um, we we understand that you know, the the risk that workers uh, experience when they go to work every day and um, when we're enjoying our steak or enjoying our piece of chicken, that was made by someone who took serious risks to get it to us.
0: Yeah, that's what I think is so powerful and 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 it harkens back to what you said in the very beginning was that when people think of dangerous workplaces, they think of, you know, someone working on the open seas or working in a coal mine, as you said, but just walking into a grocery store, walking into a restaurant, um, any type of food that you may have uh, in your home, the, the people that work to to provide you with that food, their their livelihood, it can be dangerous. Um, and I liked what you said about, you know, at the hotel, that's a great idea, rather than leaving the towels on the floor, putting them up on, on the sink so they don't have to bend over. Um, Are there any other things like that that are uh, practical and also perhaps also on the legislative side of the equation that Americans, average Americans can do to help make their workplace safer, either on their own terms or or
1: politically? Well, I think um, as as citizens, you know, we we need to be politically engaged. We need to be politically aware um, of lots of things today. but we, it, in our workplace, this is something that everybody does. Everybody goes to work at some point or another in their life, generally, um, or they know somebody, you know, somebody probably very close to them, a, a, a spouse or a child or a sibling, who is going to work. And and I want one of the the goal. I think I wanted want to get out of this book, or the most important message, I, you know, what I wanted the readers to take away was um, that you just can't look at the statistics, um, that people, Americans have to become aware and become what I call proximate, becoming proximate to, the, to understand the, the suffering that injured workers have, experience and the suffering that the surviving family members are left with after a loved one is, is, is unnecessarily and preventably killed on the job. You know, the numbers alone don't tell the story of their lives and they don't tell the story of their dreams, who they were. Uh, and I tried to do that. I didn't just tell the stories of the event that injured or killed them. I you know I wanted our readers to know that, um, that these people had, you know, full lives, they had families, they had hobbies, they had uh, grandchildren. And uh, if we just look at these numbers that the Bureau of Labor Statistics, for example, puts out all the time, um, those alone can anesthetize us to uh, the war that's out there, um, the war of attrition among workers that puts all of us at risk when we go to work. Um, you know, everybody knows somebody, uh, the, the, the degree of separation is, is not very, uh, uh, is not very significant. Everybody knows somebody who goes to work and, and many of us know somebody who has been injured somehow at work. So becoming aware, becoming proximate, aware of the real risks that, um, our, you know, our neighbors, our, our family members, ourselves uh, are at risk for every time we go leave home and there's a risk we don't come home at all or come home in the same condition that we left uh, at the beginning of the day. Um, so we, we should know what the risks are and that it's a real war of attrition out there as I said and that we need to make our politicians uh, accountable. And that's a that's a big, tall order. But you know uh, we're capable of doing it. But we have to make them accountable um, because these workplace deaths and injuries are preventable. We just don't yet have the political will to uh, hold them accountable. Uh, they have a duty to keep us safe, and for the most part, they have failed. Uh, and they need to. We need to make them accountable, and we need to. Um, do much more to keep Americans safe at work.
0: Well, we're really proud to be publishing your book because it, it does humanize the issue. As you said, we get bombarded with statistics all the time, and many times they just they're just numbers. But you move beyond that. You 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 provide the the statistics in the beginning, but then you humanize it with the stories, and you hear about the survivors and that uh, the the folks who you know have children, have family. Um, the horrific uh, stories that they, uh, of the, the folks that went to work and didn't return. Um, so you're bringing this, this issue to the forefront and uh, we're gonna, we're gonna uh, do our best to get this work out there to as many people as possible, um, get it in the hands of politicians, uh, really get the word out, because this is something that all Americans should know and uh, your book can, has the uh, potential to really make a difference in, in our country.
1: Thank you very much for that Jonathan. I enjoyed writing it because I enjoy writing but the the story sitting with these family members and these workers was uh, at times very difficult Uh, you know listening to their stories. I was a complete stranger to them and they share these most intimate stories and details with me and uh, I hope uh, I did them justice uh, in, in the book.
0: I think you did. I think you did. So thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Any final thoughts? Final thoughts I, you know, I, I have are that when I started the book, I was hopeful. I started the book at a time and I don't want to become political, but working workers, health and safety is a political issue Mm -hmm. uh, at a time when uh, there was progress being made, uh, you know, in terms of enacting long overdue regulations and rules that would protect workers regulations that had gone through the um, rulemaking process uh, for years you know I think of the silica rule that protects construction workers from deadly silica dust um, and and these rules finally made it into uh, a final rule after uh, Going through the regulatory meat grinder, um, and at the end of the and, and they became final rules at the end of the Obama administration. And one of the first uh, acts that President Trump did after his inauguration in January of 2017 was to sign resolutions repealing many of these um, uh, rules that. Uh, were were enact we we're, we're designed to make workers safer and he and he wasted no time uh after campaigning and posing as the workers president he wasted no time whatsoever in in signing resolutions to repeal uh Obama era rules. And um so when I started the book it was in a hopeful period. Um i've become more hopeful uh lately that not only um you know that americans are starting to wake up and and become active and aware and hopefully they'll take their activism uh not just in the electoral sense but also in the in caring for their own uh health and safety in their workplaces yeah, yeah
0: i i think that's all we can do is Try to be hopeful that um, the kind of backward sliding that is, that has been a, that has occurred over the past year and a half, two years there may be a boomerang effect and that uh, a new administration will come in and, and may and move beyond what uh, the Obama administration was able to do. Like we can hope
1: that would be helpful that would be nice.
0: yeah, yeah. so we'll try to end on, the, on, a, on a message hope okay so thank you so much again for. Yeah coming on the podcast. Uh, It was a pleasure talking with you. And uh, again, we're really excited about your book and uh, uh, we'll get it out there.
1: Thank you for having me again, Jonathan. It was was a pleasure talking. All right. Thank you, Jonathan. You take care. Take care.
0: Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. That was Jonathan Carmel, author of Dying to Work, Death and Injury in the American Workplace. As a loyal podcast listener, we would like to offer you a special 30% discount to purchase this book. Visit our website at cornellpress.cornell.edu and enter the promotion code 09POD at the checkout. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.